0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast, where we talk to leaders in the Catholic creative world every week. On this episode, Anthony talks with Angela Wasco, an entrepreneur who's worked at Tom's Shoes and now manages social media for Focus Catholic. Angela talks about taking risks to create opportunity, how being out of her element and comfort zone helped her find her faith, and making the transition from a secular corporation to working for the Catholic Church. As always, thank you to our Patreon sponsors for making this podcast possible. Let's get started.
1: Okay. The first time making money, I don't know if you're going to think I'm super hick, but most of mine is like farm ground background. Okay. So I always did 4-H and 4-H, the more projects you bring to the fair, the more money you get based on how well you do. So a blue ribbon, like you get like $20. Wait,
0: what's 4-H?
1: It's an agriculture based organization that develops leadership within Farm Kids. So it's the 4-H is our hands, heart, health, my head to clear thinking, my heart to clear loyalty, my hands larger service, my health, their living, for my club, my community, my country, my world. So if you ever heard of FFA, it's very similar to FFA.
0: Gotcha. That's cool. So wait, where did you grow up?
1: Iowa on a farm.
0: Okay. How old were you when you started making money doing creative things with 4-H? It
1: would have been like fourth grade, honestly. Wow. Like everything. So like if you bring in baked goods and flower buckets and everything, you bring those items in, you don't sell them. But yeah, in my eyes, it was like me being like a little entrepreneur now that I'm thinking about it. Like, ooh, if I rate 14 projects and I get 15 to $20 for each ribbon, then that's how I'll make like summer money. But then also I feel <laughs> cheap. And so you'd make more money in livestock. So you would want to like get like the best because if you got trophies when you were showing, you would also get like a $50 savings bond.
0: So wait, you, you you just had sheep and then you would come and show them uh, at the fair or something and you would get money for showing them if you like won.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So what? tell me about how you like win in a sheep contest.
1: Yeah, well, you typically purchase the sheep in the spring and then you train them throughout the whole summer. To do what? So you put halters on them and you walk them around. Uh-huh. And when you're in the ring at the fair, what you do is you have their heads and you like lift up the top part of their body to stretch out the back, so their muscles like get really tense. And then the judge walks around and feels them. Whoa. But what you do to build those muscles? Not everyone does this, but there's like little carts that you can attach, like a golf cart or a four wheeler or a lawnmower, mm-hmm. and it pops their top two legs up, and then they have to walk on their back two legs. So that's ah. kind of they're like back muscles the most. So the more muscle, the better the lamb.
0: So in growing up, like doing that, did you ever get like super attached to one sheep, like name it and then get really like, yeah.
1: (laughs) My first year, there's the first bells right there. First year, my dad was like, don't name the sheep, don't name the sheep. We got four of them for myself and then my sister had four. And I named all of them. And yeah, they were my pets. And then at the end of the fair, that the county fair, you know, where the 4 all come together and show their livestock, I couldn't get rid of them. And my dad was like, Angela, they're going to go to a big green pasture and they're going to run around and they're just going to like be with all the other sheep from all the other farms in Pocahontas County. And no, they went to die that day. Oh, no. <laughs> I found that out like two weeks <laughs> From then on, I never named them again. Uh, oh, no. It's a miracle that I'm a vegetarian, I would say.
0: Wow. How many siblings did you have growing up? Like paint me a picture.
1: And it's always loved the agriculture, life, animals. We had everything from goats, sheep, chickens, cats, dogs, I mean you name it, horses. We have like longhorns right now, which are really big cattle with exactly what I was describing, longhorns. We were always up in the morning right before school, doing chores, pitching manure, all of that stuff. Manure is poop, if you're not familiar, sometimes people don't know. Yeah, it was a good life. I'm very grateful for my farm background. It instilled hard work in me.
0: Yeah. How did you go from farm kid with winning sheep contests at the the fair to like getting into the creative work and and doing marketing and brand building and social media for companies? Like how did that transition take place?
1: I kind of didn't always love growing up on a farm. I grew up in a really small town too. And that was really hard for me. I had like sixty three people in my whole high school, but I remember having a couple different experiences. The first time I went to Washington, D.C. was in high school and just this like rush of, oh my gosh, there's so much life outside of small town Iowa. This is so beautiful. I think I have to give credit to growing up on a farm is like where my creativity spurred. um, Mm. Because one, there's not a ton to do. And so it's a lot of like make-believe, playing outside, building forts, planting the garden. I used to help my great uncle. Like that was always a favorite thing to do. But yes. And then in 4 H, I was involved in 4 H and you would scrapbook and you would redo furniture and you would do flower buckets and you would bake. And so it was more of this like home ec kind of mindset. Gotcha. But that's still thing those are all still things I love to do. Like baking is a therapy for me. Like I would Mm -hmm. much rather bake six dozen cookies than paint or write. Because I I don't know. I just love it. It's like my outlet. I love to try new recipes. I love to bake. I don't love to cook. I love this (laughs) part of it. But yeah, I I think I knew in high school too. I wasn't athletic and I got involved in the arts. So I did play, speech, mock trial, show choir, choir, all of that good stuff. Wow. You were an achiever. I was. I was. I was voted most likely to be president. And wow! Seriously, I was going to DC, and I was going to work for a think tank, and I was going to live on the hill, and I wanted to like have this like dreamy little lifestyle, but. God had a different plan, which is great. He always does. Yeah, I just I, I found that I was able to be creative, but I also had the ability to do public speaking very well. Um, mm. And I had a really great mock trial coach in high school who really pushed me and encouraged me. And so I decided to study PR, which so much of that is public speaking, and it kind of like moved into a fast-paced process from there.
0: What was like one of your greatest moments of victory, like your best speech that you've ever given or like most proud speech you've ever given?
1: So my sophomore year of high school, I made it onto the senior mock trial team, which was like unheard of. And I remember crying because I was like, oh my gosh, everybody's gonna hate me. I'm a sophomore and I'm on the senior team. And that was just really weird that my coach had done that. But... There was this moment when we were at a regional competition, and I did the closing statement, so I wrapped up everything that our you know our team had put together, and then I came back with this really awesome rebuttal, and I had like these three points, and I just nailed it, and I got up there, and I didn't even have a piece of paper, which I don't ever use paper, but usually for a rebuttal, sometimes you bring your paper up there, but yeah, I just remember walking out of that being like yes like
0: like you could just hear hear the soundtrack playing as you walked off the stage, like I <laughs> yeah."
1: <laughs> yeah, but it was great. I mean, I've had so many people in my life that have really helped and encouraged me. And I have to give them credit because confidence, I think, was always like, oh, I don't know if I have this in here. I don't know if I can actually do it. But when you find someone who believes in you and sometimes sees that greater potential than you could ever dream of, that's when mm. the magic starts to happen in a sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, you definitely seem like you have a pretty extreme level of confidence that's just deep in the way that you carry yourself in the way that you've, yeah, you've just always thought big. And you can see that in your resume, right? But also like the way that you approached taking on everything in high school. But sounds like there were people that really spoke that into you that gave you permission to have that confidence. Like, tell me about one of those people and, and how that happened.
1: Yeah, I think for most people, it's their mom. My dad is great mm-hmm. too, but my mom has always said, I gave you wings, so go fly. And I didn't even want to go to college, actually. I was like, I'm going to go to a technical school, get a graphic design, two-year degree, and then, like, start doing my own thing. But um, she really encouraged me to kind of consider other options. And then I remember sitting on my bed before going to college and just, like, sobbing, like, what am I going to do? I'm so sad. I'm going to this university, and I don't know anyone. And but she really encouraged me to get involved. And then after college, like... And during college, she just encouraged me to pursue internships and to do what I wanted and to seek out opportunities. You know, She would always say like, there's not a lot back here waiting for you. And so I want you to achieve your dreams. Mm. So she's my rock. She's my biggest cheerleader, my prayer warrior, person I call every morning after I get out of my 6am workout class to check in on how she's doing. But yeah, she just loves me for me. And when things are rough, she always says, you're too young to have that problem. Like, how could you fix it? Or what do you need to do to change it? So she's a coach and a motivator in so many different ways.
0: That's amazing. It sounds like a very extraordinary mother-daughter relationship. She's pretty awesome.
1: I love her so much. I need her to move to Colorado. Both my sisters live out here. And so get mom and dad out here. They're still on the farm, but they probably will never leave the farm.
0: (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that I've always been interested in when I'm interviewing people is like how their parents did it. You know, pretty much everyone that we've had on has some kind of like they're they're just willing to live against the grain. And in so many ways, the normal process of growing up kind of suffocates that instinct in people. It takes a pretty extraordinary family to like, I guess guard kids from the disillusionment or just from like getting sucked into the same rhythm that everyone else is living in. And, uh, To have the the kind of family traditions and rituals and just like relational notes to do that is it's beautiful. So I want to I definitely want to hear more about that if you have more. But I also want to hear how moving in from like doing PR in college, like you decided to go after. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you could have gone, but how did you land up in Tom's shoes after doing PR?
1: Sure. So just like I was involved in high school. I was very involved in college as well. And I was the student activities council lecture chair. So I was able to bring in distinguished lecture series. And I was at this conference in Boston with with my team. And I had heard about Tom Shoes and this Blake Mikowski guy and kind of what he was doing. And he was one of the like teasers that you could go watch. And afterwards, I was like, we're bringing him to my campus. We have to. I'm going to get him. I'm going to do whatever. And I just had this mindset of like, whatever it takes, I'm bringing him to to Northwest Missouri, which is where I went to college, and I feel like his booking fee was over—I think it was like close to forty or forty-five thousand. So, Holy
0: crap! $20. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know if I'm supposed to reveal that, but whatever. <laughs> Anyways, I think I had twenty, twenty-five thousand in my budget, and I went and just talked to the president, who also was just this like awesome guy that I had gotten in involved with with some other activities on campus. I had met him and his wife and they're actually Catholic and would be at the Newman Center occasionally for mass or I would see them at St. Greg's. And I was like, Dr. Zdzinski, I really want to bring Blake. He is a game changer and he's all about social good and business with purpose. What do you think? Could you help support me? And he was like, of course, let's do it. I'm gonna... I'll give you that extra money and um, let's even have him over for dinner at our house. Oh,
0: That is awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like sitting at the president's house with Blake before he's speaking and we had a great conversation and then he did his his talk at our university. And then the only thing that went bad that night was his speaker or his um taxi was a little late to pick him up. Not his taxi because this is also very rural Missouri. His driver, I should say. <laughs> it was like 10 minutes late, and he and I were just sitting and chatting. And he said, What's, what's your email? I want to send it to our HR team. I think you'd be a great intern. And so I'm just about ready to pass out at this point. <laughs> By the time I got home to my house, his recruiter, one of the HR recruiters had reached out to me and said, Blake said great things about you. We'd love to do an interview. What does tomorrow look like for you? And it went really fast from there. So I'm a big believer that it's not always what you know, it's who you know, in a sense, but it's also the work ethic that you put behind it. So I worked really hard to get him there and to fill up the auditorium and had a lot of support from the the campus community. But I give credit to my university because that's really how I landed my first job. But I also went there kicking and screaming because I did not want to move to Los Angeles. I was very anti-LA, California. And like I said, I had dreams of being in Washington, D.C. and working on the Hill. So I took an internship right after college graduation, working for a nonprofit, um, planning birthday parties for homeless children. It was really cool. But it wasn't as stimulating, I guess, as (laughs) did. Um, And also, fun fact, a D.C. tour guide from a previous internship I had done in Washington, D.C. So I was doing tours on the side, making like great cash... And my manager from Tom's, when I had interned there, was like calling me. And he was like, When are you going to come work for me? When are you going to come work for us? And I was like, Never. Like, I'm going to live out here. And he said, Call me tonight. I'm sitting on the beach in Santa Monica. Um, it's 75 degrees. And I think that you really need to move out here. And so I was in DC humidity. I think it was like 105 degrees, like just in my own sweat. And I thought, <laughs> You know what? I, I think it's time. So I picked up my life and moved to Los Angeles. And it was. It was a great two years. I say California made me Catholic um, in a different sense, so how so? uh It was the first time that I was really far away from my parents, so in college, it was like a four hour drive, but you know you have like people all around you, college students. I wasn't super involved in my Newman Center. I was too much of a brat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were too cool.
1: <laughs> I was like I'm not going to play Monopoly on a Friday night like. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have claustrophobia syndrome. So our Newman Center Chapel was like a tiny little Catholic. I, um, I remember just like sitting in the pews and being so sad and missing family in California was such an adjustment. And if you talk to my friend, Catherine, I wouldn't drive anywhere because this little farm girl had never like driven in 12 lane traffic on the 405. And when I lived in DC, I just took the Metro. So every month I would be like, okay, I'm going to drive like three more mile radius. I just wouldn't go anywhere. I would go to mass and I would sit there and I would think, okay, Jesus, these same readings that I'm reading right now, my mom heard earlier today and my dad heard as well. And I got involved in a young adult group that was really strong and had to create my family within the Catholic adult community there, which is thriving. Mm -hmm. And then I got involved helping out in a life teen program, volunteering. And that was where I was able to give that community that I had been receiving. And I loved working with teenagers. I still do helping out in any way I can. So yeah, there's more to that, but that's the skinny.
0: That's the skinny. It's a good skinny. I've always been interested when I talk to people, like, what, what is your why? You know, that's present in the way that we like work with organizations doing branding, but personal whys are also really interesting to me. And it sort of sounds like you've got in that phase in your life, you're starting to really discover that and uncover it. And, like, there's something in there about like, being connected to the family, also making like social change and impact. Like, what, what is your personal why? And, and what are some of the stories that you have from your life that helped you to really like develop that?
1: I think my personal why, as most people, I'm always still figuring it out. Yeah. I'm gonna put that out there right away. But my why I've been discovering more within the past three years in a more deeper way. So I've known from an early age that I've always wanted to help people, which is kind of why I was always attracted to Toms, to Tom's. Um my next job after that, I wanted to continue working for a company that had products with purpose. And so I moved into 3M and they have 60,000 products. But most people think of them as post-it notes and scratch tape, but it's the Lippmann stethoscope that takes the preemie's heart upbeat in the NICU. And it's the medical wounds that help a burn patient. And it's the technology that connects... People in rural communities to larger cities, and um, I really liked that about that company. But when I was at my last job, it was it was weird because it's kind of like what every millennial wants like flying once a month, like going to New York, New York, meeting with PR firms, white glove treatment from social networks Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Our account managers would come in, and we'd go to fancy dinners and you know, have expensive wine and great conversation. And I was doing what I wanted to do and what I've loved. There was a deeper calling that I really felt like the Lord placed on my heart, which is why I moved into focus. Um, I just continued to see how the church in so many ways has failed at media and has failed at telling the story of the Catholic faith and just bringing beauty to everything that we do. I couldn't continue to stay in a role where I was being sent to golf tournaments for celebrities and like rooms that were $2,000 a night knowing no one is out there in some senses trying to bring the church's story to life. And like I said, I have had white glove treatment. So why am I not taking this experience and applying it to my faith? And that's kind of more of my why. Um, all in a process, and so I can see God's hand throughout all of how He's He's given me experience in startups and big corporate billion dollar industries, and now I'm in focus, which is you know like nonprofit, and things have changed. But um, you know, sometimes I have to be scrappy think it takes me back to my experience as a nonprofit or a are master. you still
0: getting white glove treatment and like going to New York and stuff and uh...
1: <laughs> I'm going to Mexico City on Friday on a missions trip. That'll be a little different, but I've done mission trips before so I'm really excited. But yeah, the people here are great and our leadership team is is awesome. And you know, I meet with Curtis Martin, our founder, and Craig Miller, our president, regularly and they're very encouraging and really they believe in what I'm doing. And so to have that support is sometimes better than having an account manager drop in and saying, well, you need to run this like $2 million campaign to attract this target audience. So you can sell XYZ. Um, mm-hmm. It's a different type of support that I have right now.
0: Yeah. So have you getting to the point, like the decision point to go into focus? Obviously, you did Humanum as a part of the whole... like transition there. You like designed the website or just project managed that? Like what was that? Project managed
1: it. So gotcha. uh, my good friends Matt Meeks and Liz Siroki brought me on to help after I had left Tom's I was trying to figure out kind of what my steps were and they were like, Hey do you want to do some project management for us? And so I did that and it was really fun. I mean we were getting translations in Mandarin and I was like, I really hope this is correct because I <laughs> that were like German and French, but it's, I mean, those two, if you know them, they're solid rock stars in so many different ways. So even just like a few months working with them, you learn so much. But yeah, I mean, I think I wanted to work for the church, but at that point after hemonum, I I wanted to be closer to home. So that's why I moved to the Twin Cities. And then I was in the Twin Cities and I was like, now my sisters live in Denver. So maybe I should move there. My personality is, uh, you know, I, I stick with things for about two years. is what I've found. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but I'm just, I would say probably like a standard millennial. And okay, what's the next shiny object?
0: <laughs> yeah, but the decision to like, I mean, hop off of what sounds like an incredibly, I guess, a dream job, really. And not just that, but the dream, the sort of dream job that could really set you up for a pretty explosive career. Like to to set that aside to work for the church is a big, life-changing, life-altering, sacrificial decision to go all in for for your why, right? How did you get to the point where you were like ready to do that, where it was just like burning in you enough to make that decision?
1: So I used to volunteer when I lived in the Twin Cities with the youth ministry program at the church i was helping with and i just remember on wednesdays i would wake up really excited because i was like i gotta go work with the teens like i'm so excited and we were planning to go to a newbie conference and i love that that whole like rally everybody together like throw them on a charter bus and like travel for two days and then go spend three days not sleeping like it's crazy weird but there's something about it that i just really love um but i was like okay i'm always looking forward to my wednesdays i like what i'm doing i just don't Know if I want to work for this company forever and so I mean it was through a lot of prayer and discernment but there was one moment I remember I was standing in my closet getting ready for work and I just like kind of one of those moments where like I just really don't want to go into work today like I don't want to do it and I guess had this moment of like if you have the opportunity to work for the church I think it would give you more fulfillment so you have to chase after that and shortly after there's bells ringing I don't know if you can hear it um at Focus's office right now, and that means math starts in a minute. So I apologize for that, but
0: um, shortly after, and then the bells ring. Focus <laughs> shortly calls after, me. the bells ring. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And I was like, ah, Jesus, you really give signs that way. No, um, he didn't do that. But I, they were running their SEEK conference about kind of the same time. And I remember watching some of their Facebook lives and thought, okay, um, they're really cool. They work with young people. I like working with young people. Their Instagram is really unfortunate right now. Um, <laughs> They're doing some things well, but I I don't know. I wonder what what it would look like if I'd work for them. And sure enough, they had a social media manager position posted. And so I prayed about it that night and told myself I wasn't going to be obsessed with how I would cater my resume, but I would send it in kind of as is. And from there, it moved fast. It moved quickly. But I'm very grateful. I will be here. It will be a year this April that I've been here and it's been a whirlwind.
0: What's been one of the most gratifying and beautiful experiences you had in that transition in? beginning to work for Focus?
1: That's a great question. I think probably one of them is I just was adopted into this community here. So... A lot of the employees at our support center where I work were focused missionaries. And so a lot of them are my age. And that's always a fear when I've moved. Will I have community? Like, Will I meet young Catholics? Will I meet people who I want to hang out with and want to do things with? And yeah, one of the best things is there's just this built-in community here and people embraced me. And even though I wasn't a focused missionary, they wanted to get to know me. And so that was something I was self-conscious of because they've all had this experience two years on campus. But I think that's been such a grace that they've just like welcomed me in. But probably the moments that you know, like keep me around, I guess, or make it all feel like it's worth it. We just wrapped up two of our legacy Greek conferences and then our big conference um... SLS this past January, you know, there's so much preparation that goes into preparing for such a big event. And we all forget about them. I'm always thinking, like, oh my gosh, if I get married, I don't know if I'll be able to plan because there's so many <laughs> little details like, where will the lunch like sit and how will that not interrupt with the fire code and <laughs> the photographer move around like with this special guest. And there's just so many like little details. But one of the things I really challenged the rest of our marketing team, I was like, we have to make everything social by design. So what are the Instagramable blah, what are places where people want to take pictures and share this experience and we came up with a few and we had a beautiful like picture of our lady of guadalupe and people took photos in front of that and other instances but sometimes the moments for me because i don't always get to experience things with the students are the messages that come in on social media and so when a student is standing in front of those social by design moments that we've created and they wrote like this is like the best experience ever like i was able to come to know who jesus was and i was able to spend time with friends who like really care to lead me closer to christ that's that's what keeps me around. So it's beautiful because I don't always get to see like the interactions with our students because I'm not on campus, but those messages by nature of our demographic are sent through social media. And yeah, sometimes I'll be like scrolling through Instagram and almost brought to tears at how vulnerable people are and sharing how focus has impacted them. And it's not just me, obviously. There's tons of people behind the scenes. I just get to kind of read the stories.
0: That's beautiful. Have you felt when you've you've been doing that that like You've gotten to see glimmers of what it would look like for the church to really be winning and testifying in a way on the internet
1: mm-hmm. and on social. I have moments all the time where <laughs> I was just talking to this person yesterday um from another apostolate and he was like he used to work for an ad agency in New York, and we were spitting back all these ideas. And I just thought, I was like, oh my gosh, we all just need to come together more. Like we just need to work harder together because there is such a deep need for good media in this world. As we all know, a girl types in birth control pills, like Planned Parenthood will start serving her ads, uh, or mm-hmm. birth control companies. Like we should have so many like media dollars set aside for when people are typing inside birth control that they're receiving like resources on natural family planning or some other some other pro-life initiative. Sometimes I step back and I'm like, we're all doing the same thing, but we're almost all competing against each other. And so yeah. I think one thing that we need to do as the church is mm-hmm. come together and how do we help support each other and how do we tell each other's story? Because there's so much audience overlap already. And the audiences that we've already captured are not necessarily the ones that always need to hear the message. The audience yeah. on the fringe are the ones that we need to bring in. Honestly, I think a lot of that will have to be done with with very strategic campaign planning that involves media dollars. It's just the way the world works. We have so many like sweet old women running the church Facebook accounts, thinking that if they post it on Facebook, everybody's going to see about their event. But I mean, nobody will see it based on the algorithms. And so how do we help each other out is the big question that I always have in my my head. And I don't have the answer, but If we come together in some way, shape or form, God will take care of that heavy lifting. But
0: yeah, I've been like plotting and we've talked about this a little bit. But like, what would it be like if all of us who are friends and who are running, even not huge, but just like smaller, smaller publishing, uh, like social media accounts or whatever. But like, what if we all actually got an editorial calendar where we were like, all right, we're going to all share this person's post like this day of the of the week so that we're like tipping the scales on the algorithms for each other. Like that would be really, I don't know, that, that would be really interesting to see what, what would what could happen if like we actually unified and and worked with one voice rather than trying to like compete against each other for the same small piece of the pie. You know.
1: I know. Like we're all posting like Saint Francis of Assisi quotes on his feast day. But like what if yeah. one person created like a really great graphic and we all shared it? I mean yeah. we could make mountains
0: move. <laughs> Indeed. So going a little bit further back to like the um the, the why to see the church really. So how, how would you explain that again? Now that you've like talked through it a little bit more.
1: The why on why the church should come together.
0: Uh no, your why. Your why about like your personal why. The the why for like seeing the church win in beauty. You know,
1: sure. A little bit of a story. The day legalization of gay marriage. I was working for a big brand and like every brand was doing, they're all spitting out like their logo in a colored flag and putting all this stuff out there. And I think it was like six or seven months into my job. So I was pretty young. I remember my manager like coming up to me and was like, why the the naughty word? Haven't you posted anything? Mm -hmm. And technically our company's policy was anything the Supreme Court ruled on, you couldn't post without like the chief communications officer, like giving final approval. And so... We just like, didn't know what to do. We were like, oh, we're going to have to get so many approvals, and that's going to take like a week because this is corporate America, so there's going to be like 17 people that we have to respond to before. Right. Anyways, it was just that moment that really hit me. I was like, there are so many young people entering advertising agencies or any business, honestly, that are going to be faced with this question of, you need to come up with a campaign, and it needs to hit on LGBT. It needs to hit on same-sex marriage. like All of these different things that we as a church don't always have the answers to, I mean, we have the answers, like we have our beliefs, but like, how do we respond when when your manager is telling you, like, you need to create a campaign for LGBT? And I just remember that day, like when she yelled at me, I was like, I don't know what to do. I like ran out and like went to confession. I was like talking to the priest at the cathedral. I was like, I just don't know what to do. Like, this is like going against my beliefs, but like, it's my job and I have to, and what if I get fired and da, 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 da. And so my why comes back to, I think, um, you. well, part of it is like, I think a lot of times people think, well, I have to work in the church to make a difference, but that's not true. And I've learned that sense coming to work in the church like you really can have a big impact outside of the church maybe even more i don't know because you're gonna have a bigger ad spend um but not necessarily but you know what i'm saying yeah i think it, it just comes down to like how do we equip young people to put on their armor when they walk into work every day and when they have a coworker come up to them that says, oh, why aren't you going to the women's march? I made you a sign that says my body, my choice. And you say, I don't support that. Like (laughs) we've had conversations, like obviously, you know, that I'm Catholic. Like I don't believe in this, um, this movement or this, this idea or whatever it might be. Um, so I think my why comes back to like, and that's what I love about Catholic creatives is like, how do we educate and empower people who are not working for the church and who are working for the church to help guide. Those conversations because you know, every crazy ad agency is going to be throwing out all of these radical ideas of how to like sell more product and get more people involved in their brand, but we have to have to show beauty and truth and goodness through the content that we have within the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church has so much like it's crazy. And we've preserved all of that art history and our story. And I mean, everything you can think of, like we've done every homily, like is a piece of content that we could bring out for people to see again.
0: Yeah, that's uh one of the things that I, I was thinking of when you were talking about you know, leading with beauty was the just the story of, of Jericho, where God Rather than asking them to come up with this, like, just to, to come together as as an army, he asked them to put the Ark of the Covenant out in the front. And then he put all the artists right in that front lines and was like, okay, just do your thing, you know, make some music. I think God really is poising a lot of us, like yourself, you know, uh, all the people that are doing amazing things with Catholic Creatives. He's really putting those people out in front again, like this is a time where we need the artists, we need the creatives, we need everyone to be making the kind of content, making the kind of art and the kind of decisions that are going to, uh, yeah, to bring the walls down. And in order to think of, about ourselves that way, we have to really be like committed to giving a platform for the artists and, and putting them out front. So like you in in your position, since it sounds like what you're doing is kind of new for Focus, probably a lot of what you've had to do is not just to manage down in terms of your strategy, but to also be someone who, I guess, is an advocate for spending money and putting in effort on new media. Like, how has that been for you? And what have been some of the challenges you faced? And you don't have to go into detail, but like, how have you done that and accomplished that in your organization?
1: Mm-hmm. Great question. I think probably this is like a simple thing in my eyes, but for some, it was like a hard concept to grasp. It's like, we are not buying stock photos anymore. Like we're done. Like we have to have beautiful imagery, especially for Instagram. That's where our demographic plays, where they spend so much time as well as YouTube. And so I found our two interns that we hired this summer, like just incredible photographers and I kept them on contract, but I created a content engine where... You know I, I work with like our missionaries I still work with our missionaries today who are also talented in photography and we like I try to bring them all together and it's not this competition of like oh well, your post could be featured on Instagram and we'll give you credit but it's more like you're on campus with these students like can you take photos and then from there like I will I will elevate that story and I will help bring light to it so th- that's like one thing that I've stressed like I hate stock photography I just I don't know why we people use it in this world like go take some like real images and for us I like, we have real people. Like we work with students. Like we should be sharing our students' stories, our students' faces. So that's that's one thing I've done. I think for me, it's been more so just educating on the power of social media. So when I walked in, I was like, "Here's my strategy," and I had this like twenty-page deck of like, "Here's what we'll do. Here's our content mix. We'll be sixty percent this, twenty percent this, twenty percent this, and we're going to work on UGC and we're going to focus on this." And everybody was kind of what's UGC. User generated content. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of my content engine. How do I how do I get users to want to like create you know photos for us? So UGC, great term to know. But yeah, I came in with these like big ideas, which I think almost everyone does when you walk into a job. And then it was kind of like, okay, can you take two steps back? What does the positive sentiment mean? Like mm-hmm. want positive sentiment. Yes. We want positive sentiment. We want people saying good things about us. We don't want to just be talking about ourselves, but we want people, you know, kind of these like basic things, but basic things in my eyes. Um, but I think it was just like taking a couple steps back and recognizing that I had to educate people on the importance of social media and social media, the ROI return on the investment is already hard to prove because you're like, okay, what does this Instagram post do? But God has given us, like, beautiful, like, moments of ROI. Um, one that I can think of is we posted at the beginning of the school year, knowing a lot of our students are headed back to back to campus. And kind of one of that struggles is, is, like, am I going to go to that first, like, Newman Center Mass? And we did a post. And it was, like, maybe you're afraid to go. Maybe you don't know anybody else at your Newman Center, but, like, the same Jesus that is in your chapel um, at home is waiting for you at your new campus. And sure enough, like, one student saw it and she reached out to her missionary and said i haven't been to mass like at all since i've even been at campus but could i meet up with you and go with you and then she decided to go to confession too and so that was like a moment of proving we can't necessarily measure it and the missionary contacted me and let me let me know that story but we'll never know those stories and that's kind of what the media world is is like you don't know the impact that a facebook post or a blog or a podcast or a youtube video can have because a lot of times we don't respond to them. I'm guilty of it too. I'm scrolling through my feeds and I don't like things as much. I just observe, I'm looking. But they they do have an impact. And so if I can gather those little ROI stories, like that's always helpful. But um, it's more so getting getting people to share their story and then elevating it in some way,
0: shape or form. Mm-hmm. One of the things that is uh, usually an experience that people have like yourself, who are leaders who have had like big dreams and big, big hopes and like a lot of work experience that has formed them into like a leader moving into working in ministry can be a difficult transition because the organization is just not made to sustain that kind of like leadership and vision and like pushing and advancement and innovation, right? Like it can be, it can be a little disillusioning and it can really grate on like the sense of, of hope or even just on like the, well, let's do this now sort of urgency that you have as a leader. So one, how have you stayed encouraged like spiritually and through that transition and like dealt with like learning patience and just all of that stuff?
1: That's another great question. Um, Gosh, I'm going to be really honest here because I think it's something that a lot of times people don't always talk to talk about. But then when I have talked to people, they're like, oh yeah, I experienced that too. And I will say this. I think living my faith in corporate America was easier than it is in a Catholic organization. And the adjustment for me was very dramatic. So in corporate, if I wanted to go to daily mass, I'd go at 7.30 or whatever time, and I'd walk into work a little late, kind of would just, you know, be fine. We had a flexible work schedule. Here, I have mass options at 8 a.m. and noon, chapel at 3, team prayer at 2.30. And I walked in, I was like, when do we work? Like, this is really, this is really confusing to me. And so that's been a struggle for me, um, to recognize that prayer gets to be built into my day here. Um, and I can always feel like the evil one kind of like fighting against it. Like, don't take your, don't take your lunch break and like, you know, just keep working through it or don't go to mass or they won't know if you're 15 minutes late for prayer. And so it's been a struggle. But I've had a lot of people tell me that, you know, like your prayer life is your personal life. And so if that's you kind of on the way home in your car, like just talking through your day with God and thanking Him for what happened, then like do that. And so I'm trying to be kinder to myself because I really struggled with it. And I walked in with all these missionaries and they're like, you know, they all know the Salve Regina. And I was like, I don't know what this is. Like, I don't know these words. And there's so much Latin. But <laughs> like there's also like so much beauty that's come through it all. And so I'm striving, I will say. It's different, it's much more more difficult for me and I think part of it is because I get to post pictures of like priests and nuns and like quotes from saints and so most of the time I feel like I'm I'm doing like catholic stuff right but Then to step back and to recognize like my prayer life is most important. So I meet with a spiritual director and that's been really helpful. But I think also when you work within an organization in the church, like you have to have friends outside of it and you have to have people who are not like-minded. And that I think is where your faith comes because then when you're sitting in these conversations with somebody who's like, Oh yeah, like, did you see like Gap's new commercial for LGBT or whatever it is? You're kind of like, wait, uh, mm, this is why it's, this is, that's not right. So you have to expose yourself to the real world, and you can't keep
0: comfy in that Catholic little
1: bubble. Does that answer your question? Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> this it's, is not a therapy session. That's where I'm at in life.
0: <laughs> no, it's real. Like it is, and part of what we started to dig into in our core when we were talking about like the Catholic creatives, why we defined it as setting creatives free so that the new Renaissance can happen, and we do that through instilling hope and giving an experience of community and belonging, speaking identity and giving unity. The reason why I ask that is because. All of the strategy in the world is very secondary to having the experience of like believing in the church, you know, like having hope for it, having hope for ourselves, It's that it's a spiritual disposition that has to be set as primary before any of the other things can really happen well. And I have found personally, and this has been very universal in like so many of the conversations that I've had that like, The sense of being like an outsider, of not belonging, of like not being listened to, that can just create this residue, a slow kind of residue of disillusionment and discouragement that just can keep us really living out in the other ways, like in strategy and in professionally. So that's one of the reasons why I'm asking it is because if you've been able to figure out how to like grow in that, then it's going to be really useful for like a lot of other people who are struggling with the same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's one day at a time. And somebody told me this too. Focus is not your faith. Like, the Catholic faith is your faith. And so you don't always have to feel like this is what the Catholic church is. And I, like I said, I love working like, with the, like, the incredible people I get to work with. Um, part of that, I think, is like stepping outside. And that strategy of what you're going to do inside your organization comes from experiences that are not associated with your everyday.
0: Tell me about that. How has that happened for you?
1: Well, okay, I I I love listening to Gary Vaynerchuk. That's not like I don't get to meet with him and talk to him, but I listen to like his podcast.
0: Man, I hate Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, really words, but I, I mean, yeah, his content I think is getting to be a little bit too much of the same thing right now, just because there's not like I mean, there's lots of things moving in the media world, but they're they're not like changing drastically. Like,
0: right now. I didn't mean I didn't mean to interrupt the story. I I was just like throwing down. <laughs>
1: I I try to like put myself out there and like, what are external people doing? So like I look at ad week and ad age every single day and I see like what omnicom agencies are doing and what are people doing not within the church? Um, Because they're going to have act pipeline first. And so you know that their campaigns will reflect that. And so I try to just stay connected as much as I can to people in like my previous careers as well and bounce ideas off them sometimes or monitor what they're doing as well and looking for new trends. But yeah, I've got a lot of good friends in the Catholic community too that I bounce ideas off of or what do you think of this? And I've always been the person that like asks for help. Like, you know, a lot of guys like never ask for directions, like (laughs) pull over. I'm going to ask somebody like right now, like I don't care. Like I, I'm a question asker and I just, I... I put questions out there and it doesn't bother me at all. So I've always just been willing to like, even if the question sounds dumb, make a fool of myself because I'd rather have a direct answer than to have no answer at all.
0: Yeah. There's also a sense in which like when you're in an organization like Focus or uh, a parish or a diocese, a diocesan office, if that that is like your primary experience of the church the sense of universality and of what you're really fighting against that sense of perspective can really easily be lost it's one of the the reasons why like i see the traditionalism versus charismatic camps like get really really intense they get intense on campuses where the campus is very Catholic, right? Like, because all of those people are not actually interacting with anyone who is not, uh, doesn't believe in anything that they're talking about. You just got no perspective on where the rest of the world is if all of the battles that you're fighting are like internal organizational things. So like, what's the real enemy? Being able to keep that in perspective is, uh, is hard if you're not setting yourself outside of that like little bubble that can be developed around a culture like that, you know? So with all of that, what what's some advice that you have for the listeners, the Catholic creatives who are slogging away in similar situations? It can be professional advice. It can be spiritual advice. It can be advice on what to read or what to listen to. What, what do you tell them to do? What do you think they need to do?
1: Okay. Well, first off, pray for me and I will pray for all of you. I will offer up my chaplet today for all the Catholic creatives. I think advice is we have to invest in I hate saying the young people because i sound old <laughs> we have to invest- in people who are in college and who are leaving college and who want to be creatives because they're the future change makers. And the reality is, like, I've even had to accept this. Like, sometimes you have to, sometimes being a leader means you have to sit back because you start to recognize your old. Like, I'm only 28, but when I brought our interns in and they were 21, 22, like, watching them and the way that they view Instagram and Snapchat made me realize, like, oh, like, they really are like the better ones to help kind of like drive a little bit more of that strategy. Like, I can help support that because I have. Different experiences, but find a young person, um, a high schooler, or somebody in college, or somebody who's about to graduate, and invest in them. Um, let them job shadow you, or whatever that might look like. But I think one of the questions that sometimes I get when people want to learn how can I how can I be better at social media, or, like what should I do? Like I've got my own personal branding, and I've got this, and I've got that, and it's just stepping back and recognizing that we can't all be Instagram influencers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hard. That's a hard one.
1: <laughs> I know. Like, I mean, these girls, like, they make like millions of dollars posting photos of purses and makeup and all that stuff. But like, God has called you to something bigger. And if you're a great photographer and a cool copywriter and you've got videography skills like crazy, like, it's okay to do that in your personal branding, but see how you can apply that within another Catholic organization or an apostolate or a a, a parish or whatever that might look like because I promise you like you will receive more satisfaction and um, more graces from doing it for God than for doing it for yourself. So I'm not saying personal branding is bad. We all know we have to have that especially in today's world. But don't have your heart set on having 100,000 followers. Like Have your heart set on having your parish or a Catholic nonprofit that you love having 100,000 followers because that message needs to be out there um, rather than like what you ate for dinner or what clothes you wore.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, So, like, get more holy, less selfish, and less ego. Is that pretty much what you're saying? (laughs)
1: Probably. Yeah. To sum it up, I think that's part of it. I mean, yeah, I think personal branding is great, and I'm going through picking out interns right now. And the first thing I'm doing is I'm looking at, you know, well, do they have a LinkedIn? Do they have Instagram? Are they a YouTuber? All of this stuff. So it's important because it's a place for you to to show your showcase your skills, especially when you're entering that that workforce. But um, how do you take your skills and apply them? glorify God.
0: Mm. That's really good. That's very good. Uh, do you have any books or podcasts or uh, resource suggestions other than Gary Vandercheck? We're going to just cut that from the podcast because I, I don't want to support that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so intense. I think I've heard that he doesn't even like wash his hands or something. Like He's like when he shakes people's hands, or like he doesn't shake hands. There's like that other person that only fist bumps. My old boss met him once at my previous job in Vegas. <laughs> like he was crazy. Um, okay. Anyways, enough about Gary. <laughs> um, okay. The book I'm writing right now, it's by the Google engineer. It's called Sprint, and it's all about how do you like fix your problems within five days. And it's really good so far. But I, uh, I mean, if I read books, it's more so just for like pleasure and not business. If I'm looking at I can improve my career. It's really ad week and add age. There's a couple other podcasts that I listen to, but sometimes they all just seem the same to me. So I think a lot of it is just like rolling up your sleeves and seeing like what works and what doesn't work within your organization. And that's probably where you will learn the most. But I also have to say the mommy bloggers like... If you want to know what's up, like, you got to go follow the mommy bloggers because they're the ones wow. that trend. friends. So I have like a weird fascination with the mommy blogging culture. I wrote a paper on it back in college because I was obsessed with it then. And I mean, it's, it's crazy because like they... Um, you know they've always been big on like documenting like what what their life looks like and so scrapbooks were really big with them and et cetera et cetera and then they took over the blog space because genealogy is so important to them like their family like what they did family home meetings, all this stuff and that's why so many of them are so big on Instagram and so I, I honestly I follow a lot of them and see like what they do and how um, brands product do product placements with them and like what different brands that they're partnering with because. They they're the leaders in the industry in so many different ways. Um, I probably don't sound very smart right now because I'm like no. don't look like, like look at mommy bloggers. But
0: I think that's amazing I spend advice. A actually. lot of
1: time looking at mommy bloggers because mommies are very influential and we know that they're you know the purchasers of the household when it comes to so many different items. But a, another podcast I listen to it's not Catholic but it's National Community Church. Um, it's a church in D.C. that my friend. Went to I went to him I went with him a couple of times when I was out there living in DC the podcast I was listening to was about like time for God and how do you balance your time and make sure that like you're you're not like overbooking yourself or not saying yes to so many things or saying no to things that could provide more opportunity and it was just this he's just really good about being he's like that motivational speaker that you want to hear like once a week just so you like feel like okay yeah like I'm connected I can do this
0: yeah that's awesome I also listened to uh, to a couple of Protestant podcasts on the reg as well. Because for real, like I have to really commit to sitting through a homily. And and usually my experience of homilies, the spiritual fruit that comes is just the commitment to not getting up and like walking away or like checking my phone, you know, like it's a mortification just because, yeah, very few homilies down here are like inspired speaking. So got to go somewhere else to get it. And I definitely encourage people who like struggle with that to like you know, be willing to like, look outside the box for it, for sure. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I always use like other Protestant churches too. Like, what are they doing in the social space? Like Mm -hmm. most of the time they're leaders. So you can can get some good ideas and benchmarking tips from them.
0: Well, sweet. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for fantastic advice. I'm really, really grateful for it. And uh, yeah, let's figure out how we can help each other more.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who listened. Um, Take care.
0: In 2016, we issued a call to creatives, entrepreneurs, designers, and artists from all over the continent to come together in Dallas because we believed that the time was ripe for a new renaissance to take place in the church. 85 of the most talented young Catholic leaders in the Americas answered the call, coming together because of this shared vision. And what took place at that summit was a flowering of community that was beyond description. And it is now clear that new Da Vinci's, Mozart's, Michelangelo's, Beethoven's, and Medici's are being brought together to blaze new trails for the gospel, to build new businesses, ministries, and works of art that will be catalysts for massive culture change. And if you are listening to this, then you have also answered this call, and we are so grateful for your participation in this movement. If you want to hear more from the speakers participate in monthly professional development webinars, and be publicly represented on the Catholic Creatives website, you can make this happen by supporting us on Patreon. Your support and your commitment are vital for the growth and mission of Catholic Creatives. And the rewards are awesome. So your help means everyone can benefit even more from our community this year, as we sponsor our creative projects and plan next year's summit. The time is ripe for a new renaissance a counter wave of beauty. Our world needs aesthetically and philosophically articulate leaders, artists, creatives, and risk takers. Our world needs you. We'll look forward to hearing more from you in the community on Facebook and Slack and at the regional meetups and at the summit. We'll see you there.